Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes. Each week, we record the podcast during a Facebook Live broadcast in which Doc Snipes presents information and tools to help you start living happier. Our website, DocSnipes.com, has even more resources, videos, handouts, and workbooks to help you apply what we talk about. After each podcast, the accompanying video, text, and worksheets will be published from members on DocSnipes.com. Additionally, each week we have a members-only educational group, followed by a question and answer session with Doc Snipes to help you apply the tools to yourself and start living happier faster. The Doc Snipes podcast will be providing listeners and members the same tools and information Dr. Snipes gives her clients. Go to DocSnipes.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and we're back for the third episode today for Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery, and we're talking about mindfulness. In this final section, it's going to be a little bit more fun than the first two because it's less theory and more practical activities. You're going to identify certain activities that can help you observe, describe, and participate and train that monkey mind. Um, you're going to find that some of these activities you're going to hear about and you'll be like, oh, that would be really cool to try. And some of the other activities you're going to hear about and you're going to go, uh, no. Not for me. And that is cool. That's why counseling can be part art and part science, because part of it is finding ways for you to tap into these skills, for the, you to tap into these experiences in a way that's meaningful for you. And what's meaningful for you may not be meaningful for me. Um, I tell people all the time, I have never in my life kept a diary or a journal, you know, and I'm probably the only female who didn't have a journal when she was 16 or whatever that just it has never been something that i've done never been something that really interested me so if people start telling me well you need to start keeping a diary the first thing i want to do is go uh, no i don't um part of that is just me being resistant um but my point is if you feel this gut reaction going yeah that's not going to work for me that's cool let's figure out something that will work for you instead so we ended the last presentation talking about head, heart, and gut honesty. And one of the first activities that I suggest for people to start doing to become aware of their own thoughts and what triggers their feelings and all that kind of stuff is using a head, heart, gut honesty um, chart. So when you're trying to decide something, maybe it's a big something because you're not going to do this for little somethings like, you know, what are you going to eat for dinner? But for a big something, maybe you're trying to figure out if you should take a job that was offered to you. That would be something to sit down and think about. So you want to start by saying, in my head, what does my head say I'm feeling? What does my head say I should feel? What does my head think I want? And what does my head tell me I need? And that's all the logical answers of kind of what I should want and what I need um, and what I should feel. And your head is filled with a lot of shoulds, and that's a whole different lecture. Um, but that's fine. We're just going to take what the head says. And then we go to the heart, and we say, what does my heart tell me I'm feeling? And obviously, most of our feelings kind of originate, um, if you want to think of it that way, from the heart. So what is your heart saying? What does your heart want? And what does your heart think you need? So this is your emotion, compassion-driven, what's going to make you feel the best. Your head is telling you what's logical and what's probably the best decision. And then your gut takes those two and smushes them together. And your gut will say, you know, what is your gut saying about how you feel right now? 
maybe your heart feels one way and your head says you should feel a different way so your gut can find a compromise and go okay well let's think about this job situation your heart really really wants to take it because it sounds like an amazing opportunity but your head says you need to exercise some caution because you've got other good things going on right now so your gut may say you know you've got some good things going on right now and other good opportunities will come along so you know you can be happy that you're offered this opportunity however choosing based on your ultimate goals um, what is it that you want and what are your ultimate goals is taking this job right now going to be the best thing and then you go down and say okay synthesizing what you want and what you know is probably the more logical thing what do you come up with and what what does your heart need and what does your head think you need and what's the most logical compromise between all of those because um, the head and the heart are usually at two extremes so you want to bring it somewhere in towards the middle so you're not reacting impulsively improving the moment having an attitude of gratitude sometimes you can be in kind of a funk and something can happen and you start getting really negative and pessimistic one thing you can do to improve the moment is just focus on all the things that you do have and be grateful for you know what things about me about me am i grateful for myself what things about my family am i grateful for what things about my job am i grateful for what things in my life am i grateful for and taking stock for a minute not only when you're taking stock it lets that adrenaline kind of drain off so you can get into your wise mind because when we are under threat if you will your mind senses there's some sort of a threat moves you to action there's anger or anxiety you know you're getting up you're like I got to do something uh, you're not thinking real clearly this is the time your body's trying to tell you to act not think so you want to let some of that adrenaline bleed off so you can get into your wise mind and really observe describe and participate and really be there not just be trying to make the pain stop or make the discomfort stop so attitude of gratitude takes a little bit of time to go through these things and then by the time you're finished you can go you know what I've got a lot going for me yes whatever this is right now really kind of sucks however it probably isn't the end of the world and one thing we talk about in recovery circles is if you are living in the past or the future you have one foot in the past and one foot in the future so all you're doing is taking a crap on the present you're not there you're not mindful you're not in the moment you're wishing for things worrying about things or um, feeling guilty about things and that doesn't solve anything none of those emotions are productive unless you do something about them in the moment five minute focus now this can feel like an eternity the first few times I did it it felt like an eternity um, I used to take my class when I taught at the University of Florida we would go out onto the onto the lawn outside of the of the um, building that that we were in and for five minutes I would have them just sit and observe write down everything they saw they smelled they heard and what they were feeling emotionally and physically I mean the Sun's rays were they hot this was obviously Florida so a lot of times it was did they feel a cool breeze what did they smell we were all in the same general area and then we would go back inside um, if the weather was too hot or we would get together and we would compare notes and it was always interesting that so rarely did people see smell hear and feel 
all of exactly the same things. So we would synthesize what they observed to get a bigger picture of what was going on in the quad at the moment. Three-minute thoughts is another one that can also seem exhausting. And this is really an exercise to help you re realize whether you've got monkey mind and realize how much distraction you've got going on in your head all the time. So take three minutes and set a timer. You know, with any of these, you're not going to want to check your watch all the time. Set a timer and then write down any thought you have. And if you don't like writing a lot, you can record it and then transcribe it later. <clears throat> when you're finished, when that three minutes is over, review your thoughts. And you'll, you know, if you think back, this is kind of what Freud did with free association. Um, but whatever, I digress. Go through your thoughts. Identify how many were negative. How many thoughts were about stuff in the past that you couldn't change that were still nagging at you? How many were about worries for the future? How many were about the present moment? And how many were just irrelevant? Like, oh, there's a fly on the wall. <coughs> You'll be surprised, I think, at how much your brain is processing. And it can help you understand why you're so exhausted at the end of the day. As you become more um, adept at focusing your attention, some of this monkey mind will go away and you'll be able to stay focused on the present. Another activity you can do is called a vulnerability checklist, and it helps you practice observing and describing. Remember I said in the first presentation, vulnerabilities are things that when unchecked can cause low-grade stress, making you more, more vulnerable to reacting more strongly. I don't want to say overreacting, but it seems like that sometimes um, to things that happen during the day. So, you know, you're driving along and I was coming back from the gym this morning <clears throat> and I hadn't been paying attention to my gas gauge. And all of a sudden my idiot light, what's what my father called it, um, the low, low fuel light came on. Now, you know, I could have prevented that had I been being mindful, but I wasn't. Um, so that was one of those things. And if I would have already been in a bad mood, that might have just kind of made me get really super cranky all of a sudden. Thankfully, I was coming back from the gym. I was in a pretty good mood, and I was just like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to be running three or four more minutes late. And it was what it was. So think about your vulnerabilities. And I encourage you to do this in the morning, especially. Emotionally, how are you feeling? We don't always wake up with this obnoxiously chipper emotional state. And some people never wake up that way because they're just not morning people. And that's okay. If you're not a morning person, know that and adjust accordingly. Don't schedule really important meetings for 8.30 in the morning if you can avoid it. So how are you feeling emotionally? How are you feeling physically? If you're tired, worn down, fatigued, sick, bleh, just know that. So you can plan on being kind to yourself. Socially, when you think about interacting with people today, does that sound really cool? Or are you going, oh, I wish I could just go into my little, little office and shut the door and nobody would bother me? That gives you an idea about where your energy levels are and what you need to do so you have the best possible day. And environmentally, um, you know, think about what's going on, what your environment's like. If you're going to be in a stressful environment, um, preparing for that. 
you know, I, I used to volunteer when my, when my kids were in preschool, I would volunteer in the classroom sometimes. And I'm an extrovert. You know, I love being around people. I love drawing energy. But when you've got 20 some odd little two and three year olds just clamoring for your attention, it can get exhausting. So just being aware of that. And I knew after my volunteer day there, and when I say day, it was like two hours, I was done for the rest of the day. I wasn't going to be focusing on much of anything, but I knew that. So I gave my, I was compassionate to myself and I would give myself kind of the rest of the day off, if you will, from having to do really intense cognitive activities. So do a vulnerability checklist each morning. It'll help you stay mindful and prepare for your day so you prevent emotional turmoil. Now, the ABCs is an old um, cognitive behavioral intervention, but you can think about it in terms of observing, describing, and participating. The activating event is what happened, and the consequences are what your reaction was. You get cut off in traffic. Your reaction, you get ticked off. They say 80% of people have an episode of road rage each month, so that's kind of scary in and of itself, but again, I digress. So you have these two things, and, you know, I went from A to C. In between there, there were some automatic beliefs that told your brain that there was a threat, so you needed to get anxious or angry. So what were those automatic beliefs about getting cut off in traffic? Maybe the person could have killed you. You could have died. Um, they were being rude. They were just being a jerk. Uh, whatever you told yourself, you know, and we all have a litany of things we tell ourselves before we can even say Jack Spratt. So understanding that and getting more in tune with that will help you understand your emotional reactions. All of those hecklers in your gallery, negative messages, whatever you want to call it. So then you move on to participating. You've identified the problem, identified your beliefs that led to your reaction, so now we want to go back and dispute any beliefs not based in fact. Um, you know, were they trying to be a jerk? You know, it's possible they were. But, you know, go through and dispute each one of those. Mark off any that just really don't seem to fit. And whatever's left is left. And evaluate your options and choose the best one to improve to the next moment. I remember one time I was driving uh, somewhere with my son. He was in the back seat. He was, you know, still knee-high to a grasshopper. And we got cut off in traffic. And I mumbled something under my breath. And Sean in the back seat goes, Mommy, why are you talking to that person? They can't hear you. And I was just like, Well, yeah. And again, he's like three. And he's seeing a more logical response than me at, you know, 33. So, <laughs> you know, mouths of babes. But we want to evaluate. The choices we make in order to deal with those feelings, are they going to be productive? Is getting angry at somebody, um, rush, rushing up on them, flipping them off, whatever you do when you get road rage, is that going to change anything or help the situation? It may make you feel better in the moment because you are forcibly taking your power back, but in reality, is it doing anything to help you achieve your goals or is it just draining you of energy and potentially putting you in a threatening situation? Here's another one. Now, you may hear this one and be like, uh, no, and, and that's okay. But the colors of emotion. Think about 
how colors impact you. I know there are certain colors, it's like a blue-gray, that um, one of the places that I worked for many, many years had that color on their walls, and it felt very institutional to me um, and very depressing. So when I see that color, it automatically evokes kind of a icky feeling. And, you know, I know that's not a clinical term, but if it evokes something that's icky, probably not a color that I want to paint my bedroom in. So get a big box of crayons, you know, it doesn't have, you don't have to do anything elaborate. If you want to go out to Joanne Fabrics and look at different colors of fabrics, whatever it is, figure out how colors make you feel. You know, there are certain colors of like electric blue that I just love. I'm not bold enough to put them on a wall, but I might make a throw pillow with them. And figure out how you can affect the environment to make it feel comfortable, relaxing, cheerful. You don't want to be in a room that you walk in and it's just dreary and drab and desolate. So think about colors. They really do have a pretty significant interaction. We just had our house painted and the interior walls went from being kind of a muted eggshell blah, something color to something that's more along the line of a butter color, which is a hint of yellow. It's not strong at all, but it's enough that it brightens the room and makes it a little bit more cheerful and really sets off the white trim. So, you know, it's, I like it. Not, not everybody's cup of tea, but it's, you know, one of those things that I like. So figure out what colors you like and create an environment somewhere in your home. Maybe you can't do a whole room. Maybe you can just do a corner. But create a space that is yours, that is cheerful, that is comforting. Smells are also another huge trigger for memories. Um, my grandmother's housekeeper always used to use pine saw. And so whenever I smell pine saw, I remember Eva and I remember going to my grandmother's house and it's always a happy feeling and a relaxed feeling and, you know, a positive feeling. So I clean with pine salt sometimes um, or pine smells and knowing what triggers your positive emotions as well as your negative ones. There are certain smells that I smell that trigger traumatic times in my life and I don't want to smell those ever, ever again. So I'm aware of those, and sometimes I'll walk into, you know, an old house or something, and I'll smell that smell, and I'll get this overwhelming feeling of dread, and I know nothing's going on. You know, I can mindfully check and go, nothing's going on right now, but that smell reminds me, and it's triggering a memory. If you can avoid having negative triggers in your house and your office, you know, the places you spend the most time you're probably going to be more relaxed. So try to arrange your environment. If you are working in an office where you can't have candles, which is like most of them, um, you can try having little bottles of essential oils that you just, you know, you can sniff them or um, if they're diluted, you can dab them on your wrist or something or have them on a little hanky. Anything where you can smell it, um, but, you know, it's not overpowering and uh, it can help kind of jar you into a different place, into a happier place. Relapse warning signs. And remember I said relapse is mental health or addiction. We're not differentiating here. They don't come from out of the blue. When somebody says my relapse came from out of the blue, I want to stand up and do my temper tantrum dance and say, no, it didn't. Um, you just weren't paying attention. But I don't. I refrain from that. And what I want them to do is learn from their past experiences 
where was it along my recovery process that I checked out and I started living mindlessly again and I ended up back with those old behaviors. Um, and one of the terms I use is black swan. A black swan is an event that comes as a surprise, like a relapse from out of the blue, has a major effect and is often rationalized after the fact with the benefit of hindsight. So for a lot of people, relapses are black swans. They didn't see it coming, and then they look backwards and go, oh, I see what happened. I see how this could have happened. So relapse prevention means being aware of your swan, not the black one, but the general status, how you feel, your wants, and your needs. So being mindful. In order to do that, look back over past relapses. And even if you don't have clinical depression or clinical anxiety, look back over past times when your depression or your anxiety has gotten really high and describe the triggers and events leading up to it. You know, what were you doing that may have contributed to <clears throat> it being harder to be happy or to be relaxed? Look over past remissions or happy times and describe triggers and events that maintained that. Yep, triggers maintain happy things too. If you wake up in the morning and you realize it's your birthday and you're really into your birthday, um, you may find that the triggers and events for happy times, you can increase those. You want to participate by developing a checklist of your relapse warning signs and reviewing it daily to prevent relapse. You want to enhance your situation so it's more like it is during the remission periods. So if you know that um, typically when you're happy, you are going to the gym, you are eating healthfully, you are doing all these things, well, then if you want to be happy, these are things in your status, wants, and needs you want to make sure are in your day. And you also want to plan for how to deal with relapse triggers when they arise because they're going to happen. You know, sometimes life is going to throw you lemons and you can either choose to get bonked on the head by them or make lemonade. So how are you going to deal with it when it happens? And finally, daily planner. Each morning. Spend 10 minutes, and this is part of your anchored mindfulness. It's not a whole different activity. Spend 10 minutes being mindful of how you're feeling. Review your relapse warning signs and plan accordingly so you don't go mindlessly into a situation where you could trigger a relapse. Identify all the things that need to happen or get done that day and go through the list and highlight the ones that must get done. Because a lot of times there are things that you want to do, but if they don't happen, the world will not end. And then identify anybody that can assist with the must-dos or shortcuts you can take if needed. For example, if you've got, you know, a whole family and you're the primary cook and you've got a lot going on that day, you know what? That may be a day for takeout. Is it the healthiest choice? Maybe not. But it gets the job done, gets their bellies full, and, you know, you can feel okay about it. Once you have all this planned, then get going. Start using that energy purposefully, because if you sit there and just use a bunch of energy to think about all the permutations, you're never going to move. So make the decision and then get going. Mindfulness means taking time to think before you act, but stopping to think takes time. So you need to remember that it's going to go slow at first. Once you get used to it, it's going to go a lot faster. However, no matter how much time you spend on it, it's probably going to be less 
than the time you would be spending if you had to go back and redo stuff or fix things that got thrown off kilter because you didn't prevent them in the first place. So take the time, be mindful. Things will actually go a lot more smoothly. Mindfulness helps you observe, describe, and participate in order to prevent and mitigate problems. And it means understanding your status wants and needs. So your swans, if you will. This helps you get to know your vulnerabilities so you can take your best choice of action when something happens and you're not on your A-game. Mindfulness is the first step in emotion regulation and getting happy. So if you're one of those people who has difficulty, you go from zero to 100 in like no time flat, mindfulness will help you kind of understand when you're more vulnerable and when you're more likely to go from zero to 100 instead of from zero to 25. Um, and you can start taking steps to be less vulnerable. There are some mindfulness-related resources at newharbinger.com. If you go to newharbinger.com and use coupon code 1168SNIPES, you will be able to get 25% off your entire order. Now, for mindfulness, these four books are the ones that I personally like the most, um, but you can go on. They have Google previews on there, and you can look at other mindful mindfulness books that they have in case anything else kind of really jumps out at you. Um, the Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction has tons and tons of uh, five-star reviews, and it is a really good book. It helps you learn this one particular skill of mindfulness and how it fits into the addiction recovery process. As always, you can join our Facebook group at docsnipes.com slash happinesspodcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash allceuseducation. And you can visit our website at docsnipes.com. I enjoyed this presentation today, and I look forward to seeing y'all next week. Thanks for tuning in to Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes. Our mission is to make practical tools for living the happiest life of... Thanks for tuning in to Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes. Our mission is to make practical tools for living the happiest life affordable and accessible to everyone. We record the podcast during a Facebook Live broadcast each week. Join us free at docsnipes.com slash Facebook. Remember our website, docsnipes.com, has even more resources, members-only videos, handouts, and workbooks to help you apply what we talk about. New resources are added weekly. During the first half of 2017, we're offering introductory memberships. Lock in the introductory rate of $5 per month for the Happiness Basic membership, which includes all texts, videos, and worksheets, or $14.99 per month for the Happiness Plus membership, which includes everything from the basic membership, plus access to the weekly members-only educational groups and question and answer sessions with Doc Snipes, designed to help you start living happier, faster. If you like this podcast and want to support the work we're doing, for as little as $3.99 per month, you can become a supporter at docsnipes.com slash join. Again, thank you for joining us and let us know how we can help you.